Welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 56, and we're coming back to you with another Japanese import, unless you're in Scandinavia, and that is Gimmick for the Nintendo Famicom. Or again, I guess if you're in Scandinavia, it's on the NES, but not too many of our listeners are coming from Scandinavia based on my web traffic stats. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and I'm very happy to have an incredible panel for you this time. First off, back from the Konami YY World 2 episode, and of course, all the Castlevania episodes, that is the wonderful Kurt Collada from Hardcore Gaming 101. Kurt, how you doing? Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm doing good. I just got your new uh, Bionic Commando and Strider book, and it's awesome. Thank you. Again, great job, and uh, people can pick that up on Amazon.com. It's super easy, and it was even on sale last time uh, I checked. But yeah, are you, are you planning on doing more of those in the future? Kind of like they're not, I would say maybe they're like half the size of the other books, but still you got tons of content in there. Content in there. And also I think the best part is like, bringing in all the other games that were kind of influenced by Strider and buying a commando. So I'm like going on eBay and I'm looking on prices again, which is always bad, but um, <laughs> some of them are good. Some of them aren't nibble ninja five Oh is a game that I still, obviously I'm probably never going to track down, but um, you know, lots of great games uh, covered in that, but is that the plan going down the road? More, more uh, kind of, what, what were you calling them again? Uh, digest. digest. Just Cause there's uh, you know, lots of different topics that are covered mm-hmm. in them. Like next uh, I'm going to do a Taito one. Oh, Awesome. All and right. again, that's like, I mean, we can only scratch the surface because Taito is just a huge, huge library stuff. Sure. Oh, man. Also, great. If you want more music, uh, Taito Music Collections, order from Amazon Japan. Uh, they are available. And uh, also, coming back from GameSpot.com, he is on the uh, the 8.4 hype train to E3. I don't know why I used 8.4 hype train, but it just pays. <laughs> you listen to their last episode, I guess. Uh, and I like that song. That is Peter Brown. Peter, what's up? Hey guys, how's it going? Oh, Peter, he he went to uh, the local GameStop and he traded in his Pikachu microphone that he used last time for the show, <laughs> and he upgraded to uh, you know a blue microphone, which is always uh, a fantastic thing. So we got crystal clear audio this week, and it doesn't sound like you know it's audio being produced out of like an NES sound chip or something like that. It's great. I know. It's amazing. I work at a company with lots of great equipment, but uh, <laughs> it took me this long to get a good mic. It's uh, and, and I can confirm last time uh, this is and we're going to get into the episode, but uh, I played some more double dribble on the Famicom disc system and I can confirm it's not just music while you're playing basketball, but there's different songs for each quarter. So really? if you want to go check that out and you just, I, I saw Peter, you're collecting Famicom discs now. So, um, you might want to go check that out. Uh, and it, it's pretty cheap. Cool. Yeah. All right. I think it is a hyper dunk basketball. Is that what it's called? I think. In- I'm not sure. I would believe that. That sounds like a name of a Famicom game. <laughs> sounds like a Japanese sports game. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, we're going to be talking uh, about gimmick, but uh, just two quick things of note. For this episode, we're going to be talking about the gameplay of gimmick, and I'm going to also be doing another episode with Mohammed from Brave Wave, where we're going to be talking about uh, the composer who he's interviewed, and also uh, just kind of like the influence and the sound of Sunsoft on the Famicom and the NES, because they had a very unique sound, and we're going to get a little bit more in-depth with that. So... Uh, finally, we have uh, new shirts available. I just want to mention real quick, you guys have been harassing me for new shirts. So it's just at teespring.com slash 
B-I-M-P-O-G, like original gangster, I guess. Um, and that is the original logo for the show. And you can pick them up. They're about $17. And uh, they're really nice. Teespring has their own T-shirt line, which is really, really nice that I got to check out some tests products that they did so uh really happy with that stuff so go check them out also women's t-shirts and if you really want to go the premium route you can get uh the american apparel tri-blend tees as well i think they're like 20 or 22 dollars so go check all that stuff out but this music uh this episode is gonna have a ton of music so let's take a, a quick break we'll come back with the history of gimmick The history of gimmick, I'm going to be real. Like, I really pretty much went to HardcoreGaming101.com because there's an incredible article on there about this game, a great breakdown uh, of it. So I'd recommend that you go there. I'm going to try to link to it in the show notes. I should remember because I'm going to post this today. But um, if you need to, just type in gimmick in HardcoreGaming101 in Google, and it's going to take you right to that page. But uh, just some other quick notes from the history. It was released in Japan on January 31st, 1992. And again, like when Sunsoft looked to bring it to other territories, or I guess when other companies looked to bring the game to other territories, the only territory that decided to bring Gimmick home is Scandinavia. And that came out in May 19th or May 19th, 1993. It's also available on a Sunsoft collection disc where Sunsoft did a bunch of collection discs uh, for the PS1, and that came out November 21st, 2002, but it is pretty hard to find, and if you find it, it is relatively expensive. Uh, the current <laughs> cost for the uh, the Famicom game right now is about $250 for a loose copy. Box copies are in the six to $700 range based on the uh, current condition of that uh, piece. But again, I, I, I think I mentioned on Twitter, like I found my copy for about $195 US. I think it was about um, like 23, I guess it would be like 23,000 yen. Uh, but there's a great conversion rate right now, so we win. Uh, it was developed and published by Sunsoft, and the d- main designer was uh, Tomori uh, Sakai, and the composer was uh, Masashi Kagiyama. Uh, which again, um, hopefully we're going to talk to uh, Mohammed even more about because he got to interview him. And also related note, uh, Digging on the Carts, I think it's episode number three, has a great segment on him because he ended up doing music for this game, but then he, he kind of left. He didn't make any more video game music, and he never even realized that people like revered this soundtrack so much and loved this soundtrack so much until... You know, really, people started coming up to him and trying to track him down to do interviews once people discovered gimmick uh, throughout the world. Because, like I said, it was kind of hard when it was only uh, Japanese, uh, Japanese only release. Again, 
unless you're in Scandinavia. So uh, the big mechanics for this game are its incredible physics engine and also the the star mechanic, which you can also ride. It's your attack, and you can ride it. Uh, but it is just incredibly tight platforming, uh, just really great, beautiful art. And if there's one thing that you can uh, everyone can agree on this game is that they really made just a really short tight game and didn't reuse any art throughout the levels i think the only time i saw reused art was uh when they like reused the wheels from the the blaster master car like i feel like you could kind of pick that up because it looks identical but anyways um so originally we thought we were going to get this in the United States. Uh, the July 1992 edition of EGM announced that the game uh, would be released in the U.S. in the second half of 1992, but it never was. Uh, the only distributor that imported the English translation, like I said, was Swedish uh, Bergazia, uh, which is which sold in to the Scandinavian market. Um, and this game is hard. This game is super hard, but it's so hard that to actually really finish the game and get like the good ending that, of course, you're going to see in a bunch of these games, um, you have to find a hidden area in each one of the stages where a magic item resides, uh, and you have to obtain each stage's magic item without losing all your lives. So you can't use any continues. A uh, secret stage will appear in which an extra boss must be beaten as well. Only after these conditions are met in the game, and the game is completed in full with uh, an animation sequence uh, showing the main character rescuing the girl uh, and leading her back to the real world. Like, if you don't, you just kind of see like a thought bubble and you see the girl in it and you didn't really save her, uh, which kind of sucks after all the crap you had to go through. Uh, finally, the, I'm going to toss it over to Kurt, but um, the music is available in uh, ROM cassette, uh, uh, ROM disc in cassette, Sunsoft Volume 1, um, which if you want to pick that up, it has literally every song from every Sunsoft game uh, for the Famicom. I believe it's every Sunsoft game ever that came out because it starts with like the really bad, like Riot, like it has the soundtrack for Riot in there, which sucks. Like, like the terrible Sunsoft games that originally came out uh, on the Famicom, but then you start getting into like uh, Blaster Master and Batman and Journey to Silius, and you get Batman Return of the Joker or Dynamite, it's, I think it's called Dynamite Batman in uh, Japan. Uh, so you can pick that up. It's really cheap. The tracks are really short, so they don't loop. So if you really want to get like a good collection that has a really long version of these songs, you want uh, Sunsoft Music Collection, which is the uh, has the letter N. Cops are going by my house. Um, and motorcycles. Uh, must be something crazy going on outside. Sorry, guys. But uh, there's a Sunsoft Music Collection that came out a couple years ago where they released these soundtracks in separate CDs. And there's two songs on this version. And it, the other uh, game is, it's not Drunk, but it's the, uh, it's the game that kind of translates to Drunk in Japanese. That looks like Gimmick. Kurt, maybe you can remember the name for me. I oh, Hebereki? Correct. Yeah, it's um, called uh, Euphoria in English. You, thank you. Sorry. That, uh, that was another Sunsoft game that uh, was going to get released it and got passed over, but ended up in Europe. Yeah, what the hell, man? Come on. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, you can get those two on that disc, but that, surprisingly, is super rare, super hard to get, and super expensive. It's like $100 to get that one-disc soundtrack. So uh, get the Robin cassette version. You can get imported from Amazon Japan, and it'll run you about 20 bucks. It's really not too, too bad. So, uh, Kurt, I know I got lots of holes. What am I missing here? Uh, 
what to say about it? It's the sort of game that looks really easy and is absolutely not. <laughs> looks like it gets like it looks like. Well, I'm, I'm going to save this for the next segments, but yeah, it's it, it definitely is a little you know deceptive in its look. Yeah, because um, Beyond Electronic Gaming Monthly uh, revealing it, they also reviewed it and they gave it a pretty poor review, like oh, like uh, you know fives and sevens. On on the uh, the article I wrote, I scanned a copy of it just so you could see what they said. But it was pretty clear that most of our viewers hadn't even played the game because they said that it was very easy, and it is most definitely not an easy game. Uh, like uh, last week, my brother was over here because he uh, he's listened to a music podcast and they mentioned gimmick. So I was like, yeah, I have I downloaded the PSN version of the, the PS1 port. And uh, so I put it on. And he played it and he got to get even it like after several tries, couldn't get halfway through the first level. Wait, are you, are you telling me? Hold on. We have backtrack for a second. Is this available on the Japanese PSN store on the PS? Yes. God. But <laughs> <laughs> don't it's, it's uh, the PS1 version. And don't buy it. <laughs> oh, it's not. It's not very good. The the emulation. Okay, it's not necessarily the emulation. It's, it's kind of like it's a lot of those PS one games. I think were already emulated, and then it's emulating the emulator. Ah, and a lot sure. of those games, they uh, like. There's already frame lag when it comes to PS one games, and uh, like if you try to play the the Mega Man ones, like they aren't so good. And uh, Gimmick has the same sort of problem. And there's the sort of game where you need like snap reactions. Mm-hmm. I play it on the PS3. It's it feels really laggy, and most of the time that stuff doesn't bother me. But for gimmick, it's pretty bad. Yeah, and just to back you up, like even the you know Mega Man ports or like whatever the Rockman ports uh, on the PS1, when you're playing them on like a PS Vita, where there's you know potentially zero input lag in terms of going to the monitor, uh, you are still. What the hell is going on? There's motorcycles just going outside my house tonight. I'm, uh, today, I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, totally. It's it's kind of a bummer. But, you know, all you got to do is cough up $250 and just import a copy. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah I bought all. it. It was like, you know, I think they're still there. It's like 600 yen. I bought it as a consolation because I couldn't afford it um, when I uh, went to Japan last. So, Peter, you're saying? Sorry. No, uh, well, I was going to chime in and say, you know, I used the Retron 5 at first. And that system has been fine for me for the most part could not play gimmick special chips all. man yeah it might be I guess that so yeah i mean yeah, the- I, yeah i changed to a different tv i thought maybe that was the issue but couldn't do it so i had to i mean had to i got to sit in front of my crt and play it on the disc system but um yeah it's kind of the only way to do it well if you listen to this show you know i think the retron 5 is a piece of garbage so <laughs> uh you know that might be a good option is to take it out to a field drop kick it into a lake uh that's what i would do well you know you can buy a famicom for pretty cheap these days like you're talking like maybe 70 bucks for an av famicom so if you want to play it the real way go pick up one of those anyways um Let's take a quick break. We're going to be right back. It might be a little weird this episode because obviously, you know, we didn't grow up in Japan in 1992, but maybe some of us imported this game before uh, 2015. So we'll have some brief history with the game and, you know, some maybe some discussion about just Sunsoft in the late 90s on the NES. It was our early 90s, I should say. And then we'll talk about what it's like to play through this game in 2015. Here's some more incredible music from the game. Let's 
we're not going back to 1992 because we didn't grow up in Japan. But, um, you know, it was a couple of years ago where this game started really making some, some traction in the retro gaming scene. And, uh, of course, for, for the importers, when people started making their way over to Japan to check out some games, I'll just say real quick that I learned about this game because of I believe it was it was probably I can actually I can guarantee it was on Retronauts and um, it was when uh, Frank Cifaldi was on talking about how he did like an annotated version or video uh, playthrough of the game uh, where he talked about it and I remember just only like looking at like the first two stages and I'm like I want to say this I want to one day play it uh, you know myself but uh, thank you Frank for for teaching me about this game and retronauts uh kurt uh when did you first learn about it okay i heard about you from uh, the same place from watching uh frank zafaldi's video mm. and it, it was a really well-produced video because it had all sorts of annotations that uh that sort of highlighted all the really really good particulars and how well designed the levels were and the cute little details and all sorts of stuff like that mm. uh, how about for you peter when did you find out about gimmick uh i don't remember exactly how long ago probably three or four years but um yeah, it was from Game Center CX, actually. Yeah. And you can imagine uh, the host, uh, Shinya Arino, playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> How far did he get? Just to spoil it. Oh, no, don't spoil it. I haven't seen oh. it. I was saving to wait till I beat the game to watch the episode. <laughs> oh. Honestly, I don't recall. Okay. Um, but he definitely had a hard time, and it's, it's always fun to watch him fail. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, oh, God, yeah, I got to catch up on, on those episodes. Um, I can't believe he's been doing that for so long. But, uh, yeah, that's a great place. Like I, Last episode when we were talking about Konami YY World, uh, that's how I learned about those two games. Uh, yeah, me too. Through that show. So, um, good you know, good outlet to pick up some, some crazy stuff. But um, as we're getting towards, like, the late 80s and early 90s, um, you know, Peter, what were your thoughts on, like, Sunsoft games? Were you kind of keeping an eye out for that brand at that point when it came to, to NES games? Because I know they kind of dropped off on the Super Nintendo, but they still had some decent Genesis stuff. You mean when I was uh, four or five years old? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I, remember, I, I remember looking for Sunsoft just because of Batman. Like, I'm like, oh, is that is a new Batman game? Sure. Well, you're I smarter thought, than I. No, I mean, at that time, my brother, who's 10 years older, he was kind of in command of what games sure. brought home from the store. Um, so, no, I, I seriously, I had no idea that Sunsoft was so good until, you know, maybe just the past five or six years, and I really started getting back into collecting and mm. looking for stuff that I had missed in the past. And, uh, and it's interesting because they have a lot of great games like Gimmick, but... They've also got a lot of work for hire stuff that never really turned out very well. I'm uh, having a hard time remembering any names, but a lot of their Famicom stuff is very hit or miss. Yeah, uh, just more you know more so their their earlier stuff. After that, yeah. they were kind of like hit after hit. But they're like there's even like a decent like Mahjong game that has really good music in it. Uh, so at least whoever they started you know bringing in there to do uh, you know music for these series again uh, you know digging on the carts is a really good reference. They talk about a lot of Sunsoft in there, but um, they they started. You know, hitting them out of the park. I just don't know what happened. Like on Super Nintendo, it was like Arrow the Acrobat, and uh... <laughs> a lot of their uh, like I don't know what happened to their their uh, their staff after the eight bit era because yeah. a lot of their stuff was uh, not actually developed by them. Like even uh, Batman uh, the second one, mm-hmm. the the Genesis port of that wasn't made by them. It was outsourced to some uh, American team. That's kind of why that port wasn't so good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's still got decent music though. Let's... I still like the Nintendo one one better. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
I mean, you even compare that to like Return of the Joker is like a super impressive. Like they just like Sunsoft was just pushing the crap out of the uh, you know system. Just I think along the same lines as like your Konami's and your uh, Capcom's. Like they were squeezing that you know system for all its all its worth. I should mention. I, I, I apologize. We didn't mention in the previous segment, um, but you know one of the big things about the music in this game is due to the extra chip that is in there and that's the uh fme7 or the sunsoft 5 memory mapper chip uh, which again i got from kurt's article on hardcore gaming 101.net but um you know this allowed them to basically do fm synth and have an extra sound channel on uh a famicom game which makes it sound super unique uh not very unlike what they were doing in castlevania 3 uh on the famicom well, it's not actually an FM channel, um, but I don't know enough about the technical things of sound to say what kind it is. Yeah, but it, it yeah. works the same way as uh, Akamaju Densetsu did in uh, the other Konami chips where they added extra stuff. The thing is, though, it's the only game only game of theirs that uses that extra sound channel. Yeah. Um, but even the games that don't sound pretty good, and even uh, you know, when they converted the game for uh, – European release it doesn't use that that chip because European games couldn't either Mm -hmm. but it still sounds pretty decent yeah that was always uh, I mean you you mentioned in your article too uh, about Euphoria also having like a a kind of a similar sound to it and just an also uh, you know very upbeat uh, soundtrack which is as mentioned before, very pivotal in games with brutal difficulty, uh, because <laughs> otherwise, if the music is not good, you're going to want to throw your controller even more. You need something to kind of calm you down. It is like the, it is, what would you say? It's kind of like the, it's your downers, your uppers that you need to have. Um, <laughs> Euphoria is a, a much easier game, though, thankfully. It's um, it's more of a like an exploratory, like Metroidvania people sort of call it we get to talk about that sometime because i can't figure out what the hell to do in that game because i have the japanese version and i don't know how to attack i don't know what to do i can find some stuff but then i don't know what to do with it but we'll save that for another episode uh well that was that was a game i had more exposure with because they they advertised that game and uh like gimmick was just that egm review and like a blurb but Mm -hmm. sunsoft they put advertisements it was uh reviewed in at least the magazine that i read video games computer entertainment uh, and I guess they probably couldn't find a distributor for it or something like that that wasn't able or wasn't willing to style stock uh, Nintendo games at that point. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the reviews. It was also reviewed relatively poorly in Famitsu, uh, if I remember, like, again, like, kind of sixes and sevens kind of thing. Uh, gimmick or Euphoria? Uh, gimmick. Gimmick, I don't... I couldn't find those ratings. There's some other... Uh, I see on the Japanese Wikipedia page that mentions it. And instead of breaking it down the cross review like EGM did, they have, mm-hmm. like... Uh, I think five, five or six different categories where they rate it out of five, I think. And then they just uh, kind of add it up together. So the highest something can score is 30 points. And altogether, it only got like an 18.5. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe that's what I was thinking of. Huh. Yeah. Well, obviously, it's a way better game. This game kicks ass. So um, let's just not even wait. We're going to take uh, another break. Then we're going to come back and we're just going to talk about how, you know, difficult and awesome <laughs> and beautiful this game is so stick around here's some more more music that you probably won't even believe is coming out of a famicom you know av cable stick around with you right there
This is Gimmick on the Famicom, and I beat this game today. I, I had to start with that. I had to. Did you do all the uh, the secret stuff or no? Hell no. No, <laughs> I beat the game. No, I beat the last boss in the game. I didn't beat the secret boss. I beat the game live on Twitch. You can watch the stream for proof. I'm running it from an AV Famicom from Wes's RetroFixes.com into my Framemeister, into my cheap ViewSonic monitor, out to my Elgato, and up to the Twitch servers. And I... I... I'm going to let you guys start first, but I've never, this is the, like, I, I learned this game. I learned it. Like, I know this game. And, like, I feel like I've downloaded this Neo via the Matrix into my skull, and I can play this game without almost even thinking about it, unless I'm on a conveyor belt. But, um, Peter, what, yeah, what, 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 what do you think? What do you think of Gimmick? I think Gimmick is just a really fun, but difficult platformer but like you were saying you you really do have to learn the game and i think it's something that um it does a very good job of teaching you um pretty organically you know like obviously the more you die the the lessons you learn Mm -hmm. um but playing it over the past couple weeks on and off every time i turn it on i could just breeze through like the first two worlds you know all that much faster and and more efficiently Mm -hmm. Um, I know where the secret item is in the second level, so I could go get that. Okay, uh, where is it? So you have to ride, you know the the cannon? Yes. Oh, so have, that was wondering why the, you could push that off. Yeah, so push that off, ride the cannonball, and then you jump up on, onto a platform. Oh, but then man. there's also some platforming you have to do after that, mm-hmm. which is a little difficult. But um, but yeah, so when you get that, and it gives you three extra lives and you know a huge amount of points. Tons. And obviously it contributes towards... Uh, unlocking that secret level, but uh, I've not made it past the third level. <laughs> I can't what? do it. I just can't do it. I I survive until uh, that screen with the series of falling rocks and the little divots. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I I I do not know how to get through that without losing any health, and I'm always down to my last little bit just before the final rock. <laughs> <laughs> Try to psych myself up. I pause the game. Like, all right. You can do this and i never do it <laughs> but it's uh it's the soundtrack as you know we've said countless times i don't think we can say enough is just phenomenal it's so catchy and it really jives with the personality in the game that yeah. sort of just odd nature about everything it's it, it ties the beautiful like this get that the whole games is art debate this yeah. should be like at the front like this this is this is an art piece uh in terms of music and uh you know the the art itself that's in in the game um but even the programming it's you can like see what the developers were doing as you play it every little action you can tell is you know like the way you jump and how that impacts mm -hmm. the uh you know where the star goes but all the little nuance that control you have within that that concept like too like you can you can kind of like dial it in and do really specific things with it. Totally. It's a, it's incredible to see how the level design and programming work together in that regard. How did they do it? Like the the gravity and the physics of that game is it's so wacky. It's mind blowing for the the system that it's on. Yeah. I'd um, love to know. Yeah, we're we're going to we're definitely going to break down these levels a little bit more, but um, you know, Kurt, just kind of, you know, where does this sit for you and the the history of Famicom NES games? 
Uh, the same place and just as, as far as how well it's programmed and how well it's designed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think trying to get anywhere, you first have to come to grasp with the physics system. Yeah. Because, again, when I was watching my brother play it, that's something that really threw him off. Because usually when you play a game and have, there's a sloped surface, like, it, the game treats it like anything else. Maybe you, like, there's some downward motion. But in this game, you know, when you start running and you jump, it really propels you. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you need to get a control over. Like uh, the one part uh, Pete was mentioning before, like right before that section with the falling rocks, mm-hmm. uh, there's a uh, there's a part where you, you have to run down a slope and really control it at the exact right time to hit in the middle and then jump over the spikes. Mm-hmm. And that's something I I couldn't get consistently right when I played it again this morning. But if you can do it well enough, then. Like for me, I was able to get past that air with enough health so that I could still take one hit in that section with the falling rocks and make it below. Because I still can't get past that screen without getting hit at least once. Man, I've, I've, this is like this is totally pumping up my ego today. I feel like <laughs> this is this is great coming off of a review on iTunes that said I was bad at video games somehow <laughs> after beating all the, like all the games that I've done on the show. But um, so. Yeah. Okay. I, I think let's 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 break this down a little bit, and we'll definitely we'll talk about the other stages too. Just kind of like what I was picking up, and definitely I want to bounce some of the stuff off you guys. But um, you know, just in terms of that like initial title screen, and I'm not I'm not going to break it down that much. But um, in this game, you, there's there's no there's no babying you. you there's no uh, cheat code for stage select, um, and there's no password system. So you can't just say, oh, you know, I played up to level four, you know, stage four this time. You know, I'm going to come back tomorrow. You can start all the way back from stage one, uh, no matter what. You do have unlimited continues, and you can start with three lives every single time. And if you do find one of those secret items, like Peter said, you know, you get two to three extra lives, depending on how many points you have right there. So you can have a pretty good buildup. And um, I think I fell in love with this game uh, on that very first stage when I learned how to throw the star so I could then jump up onto the star and then jump up onto a platform that's on the far right of the very first section of the level and then get to a secret area where you jump, you switch screens, and it's not like a Mega Man where it like translates. It just like is a quick cut, like it's a quick cut into that other screen. And then you get a, uh, a change of you know the the song changes, and it almost like feels like you're up on the clouds just by based on the sound. I'd be so curious to like hear more from this composer to see like if he was actually like getting to see this game or he basically just made a bunch of tracks and how they dumped them in there. I'm guessing that it was the former, but. Um, once you get that extra, you know, item and you have five lives, like, okay, maybe this is possible now because, uh, again, I have streamed like all my playthroughs of this game, I've streamed live. So you can kind of see my progression of being terrible at this game, like not being able to get past just the part where you go down into the basement of the first stage and not getting past just, um, the, just like the ramps, not being able to understand the physics and the stuff falling from the ceiling. Then there's, you know, uh, cannonballs being dropped up, dropped in front of you. So you have to like dodge all this stuff. But then like on these later playthroughs, like I'm just hitting these like muscle memory. Like it is so weird how much like I, you know, I've kind of just adapted to this game. Also, I don't know. You, you guys played Mick Kids, but like the look of this game, like had a real Mick Kids vibe vibe to it when I started playing it. Maybe that's just me, though. Maybe I think so. Maybe it's the way that the character animates. I don't know. Like, because the way that the, the little blob thing is, he sort of like his eyes sort of like wiggle back and forth. He sort of like shuffles along the yeah. ground. And that's how I remember. It's been forever since I played Mick Kids, but I, I think I remember the animation being kind of like that. Greg Tavares, your game has just been compared to Gimmick, one of the best Famicom <laughs> games. You're welcome. Um, so 
So again, just uh, you know, incredible on that that first stage and the first boss. Like, uh, and, and I'm gonna even take a step back. See, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm super excited. I'm not even caffeinated. I'm just super excited to talk about this game because um, you know when you you master these physics, like the physics are what they are, but the controls are incredible. Like it controls incredibly well, and once you understand the rules, you can pretty much you know do whatever you want, and you know what it's gonna feel like no matter where you're going. Um, so once you get to that first boss, like I even found the first boss super hard. Like it took me like an hour to beat the first stage. Um, and then I had to eventually learn the huge advantage. And if you're going to be playing this game, if you're going to fight a boss, always think about throwing the star in the opposite direction to get a bounce off the opposite wall and then have it go back towards the boss, whether they be on a higher platform or if they are moving because they'll tend to run through that star, uh, when you're, when you're fighting them. Um, but yeah, level one's pretty cool. But let's talk about stage two, where you get you get dropped in there, Peter, and you right off the bat you get a whole new environment, you get a completely different tone, and then like there's this crazy one-off screen on the far right side. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, I you walk on off to the right, and there's just this really placid, serene view of the ocean and like an island in the distance, and there are birds flying in the sky. And that's all there is. That's it's it. <laughs> it's just a place just to hang out. <laughs> and honestly, like when you're struggling in World Two or Level Two, that little place, I would go there and sort of collect my thoughts. <laughs> I know that sounds dumb, but even for like ten seconds, it was enough to like calm me down, you know, set me straight. Uh, and I I think something like that is wonderful. And I'm I'm actually surprised there are not more games that have examples of that where you can just kind of take in this take in the world. Hmm. When you're not facing a challenge, just let you kind of soak in uh, what's around you. Well, they, and they, like I was mentioning before, they could have totally reused assets and stuff, made these levels twice as mm-hmm. long, or made you know, make it made it like you know, stage two, one, two, two, and they didn't. They keep it super tight, but they also allow like spaces in this game for those little, just like beautiful scenes, like beautiful moments. And I haven't played a lot of Fez, but it. Because Fez has like kind of like that opening with the seagulls or whatever, yeah. Um, two at the start, but like, oh man, I made like click right to to Fez. I'm like, oh man, I get a little Fez on my Vita because it's like it almost looks the same. Um, but again, just a, an, another beautiful uh, thing, and just like like the waves animate incredibly well. Like it's just all these little details, and um, we mentioned like the physics and stuff like that. But just in terms of the graphics in this game. Like I don't even know what I would compare it to. Like maybe Kirby is close to being near yeah. where this is, but this yeah. is incredible. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it's like Kirby a, doesn't have that level of detail. Exactly, exactly. Like it, it's just they're plain, almost plain, like outlined backgrounds where there's all this crap going on in the in the background of um, gimmick. I don't know, Kurt. Does anything stand out uh, for you in, in, in stage two? Again, it's just kind of like a really beautiful environment. Uh, beyond the the seagull part. Um, there's this one, it, it makes sense once you know where the secret is, mm-hmm. but when you go up top, there's this bird and <laughs> yeah. you, you jump yeah. on the bird and it just carries you back left and then it drops you off and you're like, well, what was the point of that? And you sort of realize that when you actually find the secret thing, there's a bird on that side and he takes you back. Oh, no way. See, I totally missed this. Yeah. And can we talk about those birds? They are yeah. very strange looking yeah. and they're kind of like that pit monster. I think that's in the third stage 
for everything that's like cute and adorable about this game, there are these like sinister creatures that mm. exist in there <laughs> that seem to be like from a totally different place. They look they look evil, like maybe from a nightmare. Well, uh, right after that that rock dropping spot in the third stage, like immediately it changes into this like really dark mm-hmm. uh, atmosphere where there's these like flying insects and uh, like black. Black little shell things that kind of like blended to the scenery, and the music completely changes. Changes too. Completely changes. Yeah. Mm. So uh, let me ask you this because I could never jump in there, but uh, I know we're going to the third stage right now. But um, when you're in that third stage, there's a little opening in the tree trunk. When at that part that you're talking about, Kurt, do you guys know if you can jump in there or not? Because I I noticed that, but I don't think so. Yeah, you know, I actually did make it down there. Now that you mention it, because I remember that, and I, yeah. I don't know, but it stood out, right? I mean, it seems like you should be able to do something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. This is, again, there's so much unique art in this uh, game. And, and for that boss, for that third stage, you just have, like, this crazy, like, mutated snail that's coming out of the, the water. And, again, it's, like, all – it's not just, like, you're fighting uh, that thing. You're also fighting a huge incline. So you're having to fight – falling down that incline into the water into the boss and then also avoid its projectiles so you're having to do you're always multitasking in this game um no matter what whether it's a boss or whatever um so let's go to stage four (laughs) again i'll I'll, I'll try to dump this in uh, as fast as i can but um stage four you get in there and immediately you see like a dinosaur that's standing in a lake and it's like a like a what would you call it? like a brontosaurus or one of those big that big long necked dinosaur from like Jurassic Park one when they jump out of the jeep, um, and he's firing fireballs out of his mouth at you for like no reason like you didn't do anything but he's just firing <laughs> fireballs but then once you hit it with a star he's like oh, all right cool man we're good so the, you jump on his back and he walks you through the lake to the other side while there's pterodactyls diving in trying to like knock you off the dinosaur. Um, and then, you know, you go through and I'll kind of jump around a little bit. Uh, then there's, you know, these pitchfork, like almost like native looking blob dudes that are coming after you. Even one that's riding um, like an ostrich, almost like in Super Mario Brothers 2, um, where the enemies are riding ostriches and that. And you start getting like the really big challenge of like the initial uh, or just the the, the easy uh, enemies in the level where you have to switch a screen like you have to jump up and then you switch screens and then they're automatically immediately firing uh, arrows at you and then they teach you that you can actually block the arrows with the stars so you just get to dump a star at that guy it will block the arrow and take him out because it just like the star maintains its integrity once it hits that thing and then you can keep going so you get to kind of learn how to use that to your advantage throughout the level and uh, there's even like little things like there's you know uh like spike parts where like spikes will be coming off the ground then going down then up and down and same thing from the ceiling so you get to time it to like make through those but then halfway through that they just say f you and then they have a thing that comes from behind full of spikes that it like triggers once you make it halfway because you're like trying to like pace it and then you're trying to take your time then you're having to uh like sprint basically you got to like make sure you have that right otherwise you're going to get killed from the spikes that are now coming from behind uh you know again using those blaster master uh wheels from that game so uh and then you fight uh, a chick that has a spread shot like a chicken like that gets hatched from a uh, egg and then it is firing a spread shot at you and you just got to learn like i didn't even learn the enemies uh 
like movements until today. I used to just spam it and use extra like health pickups, but you just got to kind of like wait for it to jump up and then you get to bounce the star under it and then have it hit underneath it. And then because otherwise the spread shot kills your star. Um, so that was fun. Now stage five is my choke point. Stage five sucks um, because you uh, have to deal with, deal with conveyor belts and, and even just like talking about the mood of the game, like real quick, you go down to like the bottom section of the first screen and there's frogs just chilling out. They're just chilling out. They're not attacking you. They're just chilling out. They're in a space where you need to jump onto. So you have to kill them, obviously. But um, and you can, they're making like cool ribbit sounds like it's uh, it's again, it's just a really just talking about how amazing this game is. But um, after you get past those, of course, you have a minecart section where you're going to be jumping on these minecarts and you have to, you have stuff attacking you from behind as you're on these minecarts and you have to make these specific jumps where the minecart is going to ju- fall into a pit but you can't jump immediately because if you do you're going to hit your head on the ceiling and you're going to fall into that pit too so you got to wait till you're like halfway down that pit jump onto the other side and then keep going then it drops you down onto a effing conveyor belt and i'm sorry i'm not that's i don't mean to like swear but and even use letters but you, you drop into a conveyor belt where i probably died about a hundred times playing this game um with conveyor belts that you're jumping onto these conveyor belts to conveyor belts with just water underneath you where it's instant kill with things uh they're like welders they look like the little black like mini enemies but they have welding masks on and they have welders that they're trying to attack you with and the only way you can kill those is if you hit them on the head and then they fall backwards and then they fall into the water um sure okay and you can hear i'm like dropping all this like you're doing all this stuff at the same time so you're jumping from moving platforms that are either going pushing you backwards or like shooting you forwards really fast and then you have to jump from platform to platform then there's stuff falling from the ceiling that you have to trigger by just jumping far enough to the right but then you got to get back to the left (laughs) to make sure you get back to the conveyor belt reminds you which is super narrow so you have to jump back onto the conveyor belt and then make the jump onto another conveyor belt that you have to stay on as other things are dropping from the bottom so all right you get through all that and that took me a ton of time you get to the boss battle and it's something that is shooting down from the ceiling and you know peter you might remember this from the game center cx episode but there's like a a little uh like boss i don't even know it's like a little dome that's kind of like shooting just lasers down on the ground going back and forth but the only way that you can hit it is to again be on a conveyor belt that is on the (laughs) far left side and it's angled it's always pushing you back into the middle of the map so you gotta keep you know holding directional left and then the only way you can hit that thing is if you do a high like a maximum height jump with and then throw the star at the maximum height to the left so you then you hit it the dude on the right as he's in the perfect spot on his way back to the left from the right so you hit this guy three times and then he goes berserk like he goes from like going boom 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 like in terms of like the the pace of the laser shot so like and it's just like is dumping constantly onto you and then you have to finally and you're like oh man i just got him i just beat him i have one piece of health left i finally beat this boss this guy was so hard like i had to get the 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 trajectory of the stars perfectly and then it's like uh no you're not done a spider tank then walks out and then it's not only firing a spread shot at you but heat seeking missiles um, that you have to dodge. So you're dodging a spread shot, heat-seeking missiles, and then you have to only hit stars on its head. So you have to make sure you bounce it at the right spot before him so it gets the right trajectory. Hopefully it doesn't get hit by a spread shot or a missile and then hits him in the head. So that's stage five, if you can get past that. Um, stage six is... 
it opens up beautiful. It's like you're in the Arctic. It's so calm. Sliding around on the ice, you're just chilling. You're chilling around with these hamps- this hamster that you can ride. This hamster's just there. He's just hanging out. He's not attacking you. He can run you over and he'll hurt you, but he's not shooting anything and you can't hurt him. You're just kind of like, you can jump on top and ride him on like the slopes of the ice. So then you go into this castle and then immediately the music changes. boss battle you're fighting these two guys and uh like they're kind of a pain in the butt and then you get to like going through this castle and again i'm 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 not even like looking at my notes because i probably should be but um like there's all these cogs that you're jumping onto so instead of conveyor belts you're jumping on these cogs like almost like in think of like castlevania 3 and the nes how they're like in that clockwork stage but um instead of having like a big thing it's about the size of the character itself. So you have to make these super tight jumps where all that's underneath you is spikes. And I'm talking like five consecutive jumps onto these things that are like half or maybe a third of a screen away. And you have to precisely jump on these things while they're rotating and and like pushing you forwards or backwards. And then you have to jump on these springs that only spring once you jump. And then once you land, it springs you off. So it doesn't, you can't like just jump like in Super Mario Brothers. You have to like make sure you time it so you land and then it pushes you up after you've made that initial jump because it kind of like locks in place, anyways. Um, so I'm, I know I'm blowing through this, but then there's a finally a, uh, you get to the boss battle. You don't fight the boss once, you don't fight the boss twice. Then you fight it a third time in a gigantic form and then you have to hit it five times while it can suck you up into a bubble where you're uh you cannot attack so you have to keep dodging icicles uh bubbles and then it's like this magic looking crap like the the thing the koopa dude from super mario brothers or super mario world throws at you um and you have to do all that while then landing five shots and i did it with the very last piece of health today and this is probably the hardest game i've ever beaten i think (laughs) well done (laughs) (laughs) sorry i just like i felt like Damn, I beat this game. At least I'm going to do is I'm going to dump all that stuff on you guys. <laughs> you can hear me and like uh, hear about all this stuff. But I, this is one of my favorite games of all time, and it's it's totally worth playing in an emulator. 
because Sunsoft has not put it out on the virtual, or whoever Sunsoft is, has not put it out on the virtual console. Um, and uh, you know who might be to blame for that? Uh, Vic Ireland. He uh, he had got some of the the rights of the Sunsoft games. Like he brought that uh, that uh, Euphoria game out on the virtual console. Except uh, he ended up. I think I remember buying it, but I think he put the PAL version on there. <laughs> so so it, like runs bad or weird. Yeah, it runs slowly, or either that or the music's off. There's something weird about it. Um, and they they actually did find a prototype of the the version that was going to be released in North America, and it's, it's it's exactly the same as the European one, which in turn is exactly the same as the Japanese one, except for lacking the sound chip. Mm-hmm. And they they take it a little easier on you and give you a bunch of extra lives um, every time you restart or every time you even continue. I mean, I I think it's I think it's I think. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Peter, do you think you're going to go back and try to play through this game? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I I only acquired a copy a few weeks ago. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so, no, finally, get, and I'd never played it on an emulator. Mm. Um, so having the chance to play this uh, has totally, yeah, I mean, it's got me hooked, <laughs> honestly. Um, I just need to, like, you have to learn past it. E- well, I have to learn it, and I also yeah. have to get past E3 because I'm so freaking busy right now, and my brain <laughs> is just a cyclone of stuff so uh yeah no doubt about it i'm going back to gimmick yeah huge thank you for taking the time uh as you're doing doing prep for that i know it's cannot be cannot be fun getting all set up for that but um oh it's all fun it's all video games (laughs) that's true that's true it's just you know work um at the end of the day but uh i don't know do you think do you think you're gonna you know one day say okay i'm ready to go to war yeah, I mean, I've beaten it before on an emulator. I wasn't able to get all the, the secret stuff mm-hmm. just because uh, trying to ride the stars up into those areas is crazy difficult. I have no especially, idea how you do it. Especially when you get to the fourth stage. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's just crazy nuts. Like, I think when I was playing it through uh, for the review, I had just downloaded one of those, uh, like, replays mm-hmm. and just, like, let him get everything for me. And then when it got to the last level, I just played it myself because some of that stuff is nuts. Dude, the last level is so it's it's like it's like almost a joke. Like I was laughing at parts. I'm like, you're kidding me. Like you, you expect me to do this. And uh, then again, I can only like thank the people who are watching me on Twitch who are just like, at least it like gave me someone to talk to while I was playing through this stuff. And like you guys are seeing how stupid this is, right? Like how ridiculously hard this is. And it's not just like like me. It's not me being like bad at the game like if you can play through gimmick like i think you you get a medal or something but um it's funny i was playing through this game initially when i got it a couple weeks ago in the mail and then i just randomly wanted to go play Mega Man 4 and i breezed through Mega Man 4 like it was nothing like it was no problem uh and that's just like i feel like if you can get to the end of gimmick you're you're gonna have enough in your 8-bit toolbox to almost attack any other game uh, in the Famicom library that's fair um, but difficult um, and I ended up playing my copy of uh, Castlevania 3 on the Famicom because now I feel like that is obtainable like I could probably beat that game now Kurt maybe I could do it <laughs> probably you're playing the Japanese one right correct yeah that one's a little bit easier oh it is yeah even better awesome I think um, I think it starts you at a different point when you die at Dracula at the end yeah, I heard that's still going to be no fun. Um, yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's not that bad if you're well prepared. Okay. Um, well, I've been streaming a lot of that, too. So, again, if you want to ever see, like, just me 
smash my head uh, against either of those games, just go to twitch.tv slash Kevin Larrabee. I think, I don't know if it, how long it saves the video, so you might need to do it quickly because I haven't exported it. But um, yeah, now I just really feel like rejuvenated. Like I could, I can attack this Famicom or NES library and I have a chance now where I didn't feel like I had a chance before now that I've uh, passed this game. But um, yeah, so uh, like I said, we're going to do the, the music stuff a little bit more in depth uh, next episode. And then um, I apologize, but I, it might be a little bit Nintendo heavy these next couple episodes just because I've been really into the Famicom stuff lately. And I did beat Mega Man 4, so might as well do an episode with that. And um, and that's underrated game. It's a really good game. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. So, any, uh, you know, Peter, any final thoughts on on gimmick? Do you think people should, uh, you know, do you think it's worth the two hundred fifty dollars price tag? That is a very difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really depends on on why you appreciate old games. Um, for me personally, yes, it's worth it. Um, I actually, it was a collaborative effort between my girlfriend and I, but nice. uh, we ended up getting the the box copy. Holy um, sh- oh, wow. shit! <laughs> we didn't we didn't pay. Luckily, we didn't pay as much as your quote earlier. Um, it was it was actually a fair amount less. Oh, you um, went through uh, Yahoo Auctions, right? Uh, no, actually, oh. I was able to get it through eBay. Um, wow, nice. Of all places, right? Yeah, um, we ended up kind of negotiating with the seller a little a little bit. Um, but for me, you know, having this game. It, it, it represents, you know, Sunsoft, and Sunsoft represents something pretty special about er- that era of game development. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I like games to play them. I like, you know, talking about them, and you know, having the physical object for me is sort of like a, it's like a touchstone of the of the day. You know, it lets me sort of uh, just really see what things were like back then, just holding it in your hand. So, um, I don't know. It's everyone should play the game. Mm-hmm. But $250 is a lot to spend just for that opportunity, I got to say. So unless you're crazy, yeah. <laughs> unless you're crazy, just emulate it. Yeah, uh, maybe I'll put uh, also Muhammad again from Brave Wave is as crazy as you. And he bought a box copy when we were in uh, Akihabara together. Oh, um, Jesus. Oh, no, that, I've seen those. <laughs> I've seen how much they, they price it. Was it at Super Potato? And no, we were at uh, Mandrake. Oh. So um, oh. I think he was like looking cool. at 500-ish U.S., yeah, Mandarake like is actually pretty good. Underrated. If you if you can find it in Akihabara, it's off the main strip. But if you can if you can find it, they are that's actually probably the best shop in uh, Ooh, Akihabara. I don't know. No, it is. no, Trader Trader is pretty good. No, <laughs> Tra- I, I'm telling you, I'm from <laughs> I'm telling you, updated 2000 spring 2015 version. Yeah, it's. I mean, are we talking both, prices or selection? Both. Oh, okay. Both like selection, cool. it smokes Trader now. It so does. It smokes them. Um, for those going to Japan. Uh, I don't care. What do you think? Do you think it's uh, you know up there in terms of worthy as, as one of the most valuable or expensive Famicom or NES games? As far as quality, yes. But mm. when, when it gets to money, then it definitely gets subjective. Because yep. right now I'm staring at my yearly sewer maintenance bill, which is also $250. <laughs> so I was like, can I play gimmick or can I use the toilet for the year? <laughs> so in that, that sort of context, it's like, well, you know, that that's a lot of money. But it is still a really damn good game. They, they, we went many years without toilets as humans. <laughs> they, they used to just have buckets and they would just throw them out the window. Think about it. You could just do that for a year and uh, have a copy of Gimmick. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I think this is uh, – I mean, it's definitely – I want to go back uh, to Euphoria and, and, and check that out. It's just a, has a very similar uh, feel to it. And um, There's um, – somebody yeah. uh, contributed a uh, an article for that series for my site, which should be up in a couple months. Awesome. Uh, like it's a, it's a whole – like they created these four characters and uh, there's a whole series for it called Hebereki. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is like none of them are like that that game. They're all like puzzle games and weird sort of stuff. So it was like Sunsoft's mascots. Oh, weird. Or less, yeah. Yeah. I saw I saw there was a uh, a Super Famicom uh, game in the series, but this game a uh, Hashide Hebereke, which is um, it's it's like a, a racing game, but like you you play as those different characters and they run around a track with a weird isometric view. I think that's the right one, but uh, mode seven. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, actually, yeah. uh, no scaling. Um, yeah, no, I was looking at this yesterday. There are a bunch of games in that series. So if you want to at least sample what the world of gimmick is like and how Hudson Soft treated those characters in that strange place, um, you can do it. You don't have to spend 250 but you won't get the great game that is gimmick. Yeah, Hebereke isn't as expensive. I got off eBay like 50 bucks, like a cart a little while ago. I mean, if you want nice. the European version again, it's probably a lot. Yeah, I think uh, I got a copy on Amazon Japan for like $25. Oh, yeah, really awesome. just a loose copy, but um, that's, you know, that's all I need these days. Um, yeah, I, I think, I, I, I mean, and also if you really want to like have a physical copy, you don't want to go nuts. There are repros of the Scandinavian version uh, that you can get for the NES that doesn't have that extra chip in it. But um, I, I, should, I, that, I don't, maybe that's okay. I mean, I don't want to anger Vic Ireland. <laughs> I don't know what, what his wrath is like, but Vic, just bring the game over. Put it on. Talk to Nintendo. I'm sure they're just super easy to get a hold of on the phone. So, <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to take a, a quick break. Uh, you know, maybe just if you're listening to this early, go on eBay and check this game out right now because copies of Konami YY World were going for like thirty four dollars last week, uh, or at least YY World two and. That was after it being like $18 before we recorded that episode, Kurt. So <laughs> this show has a serious effect on eBay prices. Just make yeah. sure, don't think about it. Just do it. The game holds its value. If anything, gimmick has gone up in value substantially over the last three years. Um, so it might be a good investment to get the kids through college one day. Um, all right. Well, that's, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Here's some more music from Gimmick. And uh, we got some E3 predictions. We're going to talk about some DS Castlevania games. Nintendo is selling hardware on their website and much more. segment that has nothing to do with the episode itself at least the game that we're talking about but uh some great stuff to discuss with e3 just not even i guess it's two weeks away now and 
I think the first thing that we should probably talk about is actually, no, we'll finish with E3 predictions. That way you have to stick around for that, but not like it matters how long you listen to the show. Um, I want to quickly mention uh, just a big thank you to uh, Jason Bento, uh, who I also hung out with in uh, Akihabara when I was out there last time, uh, Steve Lin, uh, Muhammad from Brave Wave, uh, Zmet from, from NeoGAF, um, and a couple others who, who helped make uh, the gimmick episode possible um, because they helped make donations because I could not justify $250 for this game. Um, but they put together um, about $180. So I was able to just get it for about $45, which is huge, and I appreciate it. Um, that is a really awesome thing that you guys did. So thank you so much. And hopefully we're going to get Steve Lynn back on when things quiet down after E3. I'm looking forward to talking to him some more. Um, Steve Lynn, the guy who basically, I would, I would almost call him the, um, the guy that basically makes everyone want to buy more games. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's definitely a guy that he's an influencer in that, the, the retro gaming scene. But uh, two things. First off, Randomly, Nintendo decided to start selling. They must have just like found like a box of these or like a pallet of these. They just started selling uh, DSIs, uh, DSI XLs on their online store. Um, Sixty dollars for the DSIs, and then seventy-five dollars for the DSI XLs, uh, brand new. You know, as they would be if you picked them up at a Best Buy or your favorite, like, excuse me, electronic store. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was. It was and also Wii, Wii consoles, they have brand new Wii consoles for $130. Like the Mario Kart bundles, they have the Super Mario Brothers, uh, new Super Mario Brothers red bundle. Uh, so if you missed out on those consoles and you want to make sure you got brand new ones, that's a decent way to do it. Um, unless you like the colors red and blue for your DSIs because GameStop is clearancing those out for $47 if you can find one locally. And a bunch of the GameStops near me had them. I ended up buying two of each because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and uh, I like to, like, if, if if I feel like I'm being pressured and this is a one-time opportunity, might as well buy four. I mean, I had $137 in GameStop credit that I've not used for the last six months, so might as well buy four DSIs, but um, <laughs> I sort of feel like I was at a. We have a chain here called Five Below, which is like the mm-hmm. best discount store ever. Yeah, I walked by one yesterday or two days ago. They had so many copies of Metal Gear Solid Rising for five dollars each. <laughs> I'm like, I like this game so much that I could maybe buy like ten copies. You of buy it. it's completely copies, completely worthless. But you know, it's just neat to have. But no, the, the DSI XLs. That's still how I play all my DS games nowadays because. Mm. Uh, if you play it on a 3DS, it has to scale up, and it looks kind of ugly. It if you're looks playing a, gross. If you're playing a 3D game, or you know, like a like a polygonal game, it looks fine because yeah. those look fine if you're uh, you know smoothing out the edges. But like I've been playing The World Ends with You, and that's that looks much much better mm-hmm. on uh, a DSi. I could add that to my list. I mean, I've well, that's the reason why I did this. I have like maybe 30 DS games. Like I have the definitive Nintendo DS library that I've probably only played. Um, you know, maybe ten percent of those games, just because I had a, I was mostly a PSP guy and uh, then a 3DS guy. But um, you know, just in terms of like the scaling and stuff like that, like, just to reiterate what Kurt was saying, I hate the way it looks on the 3DS. And I even had it with like the new 3DS, like the smaller one from Japan, and it still doesn't look very good. And I know you can hold down select, and it's in the same aspect <laughs> ratio. It's so friggin' small. Yeah, if I, if I have it like that, it's I wouldn't. I can't even like. How am I supposed to play an RPG? the text is that small um i'm 29 i'm almost 30 guys i can't do it anymore so 
uh, maybe pick up a DSi. Peter, you still got like a DSi hanging around? Do you still play any DS games? I don't play as many as I'd like, but I do play Game Boy Advance games still. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was playing on an SP for a long time. One of the good backlit ones, so the screen looked great. Mm -hmm. But uh, I actually found a guy on Craigslist selling a a really nice condition black DSi. um, Or not DSi, just the DS Lite, actually, um, a couple months ago. So yeah, I've been using that to play Game Boy Advance games, not DS so much. Yeah, it's, I'm adding again, showing how dumb I am. Uh, I had a I had a uh, shipment come in from my buddy from Japan with some stuff. I ended up uh, getting a cheap copy of uh, Rondo Blood because I sold my copy like a year and a half ago when I had some vet bills to pay, and uh, I ended up because the price on that has skyrocketed. It's like two hundred dollars for a copy of that game now, and I found a copy for like a hundred and thirty with a. The only thing that was wrong is that, like, the white on the case was stained, so I just switched the case out. The disc is fine, and the instructions are fine, which is weird. But um, I ended up getting, the like, DS lights on Amazon Japan, like, used ones are, like, $10 or less. Huh. So I ended up buying three DS lights because, again, you know, you might as well have them just in case. So I have, like, three DS lights now and now four DSIs. It's real dumb. It's real stupid. Um, <laughs> it's real, real dumb. Uh, but, uh, you know, along with this, I ended up uh, finally picking up, not picking up, I've had it on my wall forever, uh, Portrait of Ruin. I ended up going back to it, and I think I got maybe a half an hour into it initially, but I've been playing through it, and it just looks so good. Like, the DSi, I think, looks so much better, uh, and it feels so much better because it's, like, matte. The hardware feels great, um, and the screens are really, really nice on the DSis. Um and playing through Portrait of Ruin has just been uh, a blast. And I originally I went back to it because Kurt and I talked about it when we did uh, Castlevania, Castlevania Bloodlines because of the link between those two games. And also uh, I learned that Yuzo Koshiro also worked on that soundtrack. So, of course, I have to play through it. Um, and the soundtrack is exceptional. Really, 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 really good. Um, Speaking about Yuzo Koshiro, uh, did you notice the Streets of Rage soundtrack is getting printed to vinyl? I did, but I already have the uh, I have the the bare knuckle collection on CD. I just don't have a record. I just don't know what I do with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I, I, I still kind of want it. I did, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean, I could, my, my dad he's a big record collector, and he ha- he actually has a setup to uh, you know record it on his computer and burn them on CDs, which eliminates the point. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, just well, you know, it would be a nice novelty. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a digitally produced soundtrack on a analog medium, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It, it is, but as I get, again, it's like if I did it, like I bought the Guardians of the Galaxy, like, vinyl because it was on, like, a uh, like a crazy Black Friday deal last yeah. year. And it's been sitting on my shelf, at, like, next to my Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3 laser discs. Nice. It's, <laughs> like... <laughs> Again, I don't know why I own this stuff, but again, I can't throw it out at the same time. I nearly jumped on a box of Laserdiscs at the flea market last weekend. Oh. I'm really <laughs> glad I didn't. <laughs> my dad, again, I grew up with Laserdiscs. My dad was a, yeah. a cineophile, and those were those were great. I mean, Hell I didn't yeah. really appreciate them at the time, but it was still neat. And I, I, I grabbed Back to the Future again for one of my friends because he's a really big fan. And uh, he just keeps around for decorations, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, we had laser discs too, but at one point, <laughs> what? most of you them. You guys had the cool houses. <laughs> uh, at one point, the glue, I guess, started to separate between the layers because some discs would work, some wouldn't, and they were totally fine. And a little bit of research showed that, yeah, some manufacturers use really cheap glue for those. And so over the years, 
the layers will separate and a laser can no longer read it. Yeah, so I had some a, laser discs are just dead. There's the last time I bought a laser disc was probably like 15 years ago. It was uh, one of those anime places, and I got something from them. This is in the late 90s, and it played, but there's a lot of static on it, which yeah. uh, you know, thanks to disc rot or the glue issue or whatever it was. Yeah. Weird. Did you guys have any? I mean, that's a pretty late issue, but I know like the Matrix came out on Laserdisc in Japan. I don't know if oh. you guys have any like those super late era no. Laserdiscs. No, at that time we had a DVD player. I think it's so cool. <laughs> like you can like like if you look at Back to the Future Three, it's on two friggin' discs that you have to flip both discs. Too. Oh, that's so annoying. It's four sides. <laughs> it's four sides. And it's, it's like just, a Famicom disc game. It's yeah, a start totally. and it says, please flip the disc. <laughs> totally. Marty, switch it to side B. <laughs> so that's what they should have done. They should have Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Jeez, Doc. <laughs> Doc, a laser disc. It's got to be flipped. <laughs> All right. Um, back to the future. Come in the Lego universe or whatever it's called. Lego Super World. What is it called? Is it Lego World? Lego... I don't know. There's that metaverse. I don't know. Um, anyways, yeah, Portrait of Ruin, really, really good. Three incredible Castlevania games on the DS. Uh, and I think right now is probably, it's getting close to the time or, uh, you know, past the time where you're going to get good deals on DS games. There's still GameStops or uh, got really cheap bins of DS stuff. And, and even though they threw away all the boxes years ago. I know, I know. They're just in like yeah. paper disc sleeves, of course. Um, but you can... Uh, you know, look on Amazon, look on eBay, you know, DS games are still an incredible collection of like, you know, real, if you want to call them like hardcore titles and not just like, um, casual titles, but, uh, just really, really great stuff uh, on there. And I even, cl- what did I get today? I got, um, where did I put it? All right. I got, uh, I got a cheap copy of Lunar Nights, um, which I guess is uh, a sequel to Boktai, I think. Yeah, it's in the same series, except it doesn't have the light gimmick, which works no. in its which works in its favor. Trust me. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think again, I heard about this whether it's on your site or like old one up podcast or something. But uh, you know, again, I found a cheap copy. And I might want to play that someday. I heard it was good. So just this is your uh, two minute warning to go pick up that stuff. So uh, oh, and finally, I forgot. Uh, I'm going to be teaming up with. Uh, Greg Stewart and Chris Johnson of Player One Podcast and Josh Hillier is going to be joining us. And we're going to be doing late night on Monday and Tuesday night. We're going to be doing uh, E3 recap stuff uh, for for E3 just because why not? I don't know. Um, I convinced those guys to to do it. I'm going to edit that stuff and it'll probably be cross, you know, on both the Player One and the back of my play streams but you know it's good for you know getting more people to download the show and it's always fun to talk about that stuff and then i can be like hey look at nintendo did a bunch more stupid stuff why did they do this stuff i want to buy more nintendo games and at least i can guarantee like i said on player one 100 lock you're getting a metroid game at e3 100 lock guaranteed the kevin you better be guarantee. Right. It's, <laughs> you better be right 100 <laughs> lock i'm not saying All you're right. going to be happy with the metroid game i'm saying 100% lock. You're getting a Metroid, Metroid Samus, Metroid video game. That's what you're getting. Um, See, at this point, like, have you played Axiom Verge? I, oh, yeah. I haven't because they haven't put out the GD PS Vita version. I bought it on the PS4. I don't have a PS4, but I bought it because, like, they were nice enough to give me a coupon at PAX East. And they, where is the Vita version? Yeah, that, that's what still being hell? made. I mean, I really wish that would come out because I could have more time to play it. Yeah. But I, I have a PC version, and the, the way Metroid's been going, like, the guy that developed that game 
understands Metroid better than the Metroid developers do. Oh, I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's like two parts to Metroid, right? There's the, the world, you know, like in the characters, and then there's the gameplay. And yeah, Axiom Verge totally, like, just does the best job of emulating the Super Metroid, uh, you know, style of gameplay. But I still, like, I liked Other M. Story aside, I really <laughs> like the gameplay. So I just kind of want more Samus, you know, Zebes, whatever planet she's going to now. I just want more of that. I just really like the character. So um, as long as it's not like a puzzle game, I think I might be happy with whatever they announce. It's a, or a it's, racer. As long as it's not a cart racer, like a Metroid cart racer. <laughs> All right, sorry. I'm going to break this. I'm breaking this news right now. And you know what? The person that told me can get fired. I don't care. It's a rhythm game. <laughs> Uh, so uh yeah no but you will get a metroid game uh and you will get some other cool stuff and uh i will well and and i will say portrait of ruin has an incredible pacing and flow and it makes sense and i don't get lost and it's just like you know all right there's that little space where i couldn't get to you can see there's like a block that's not completely filled in on the map and I still love that feeling, and I love just opening opening that DSi, playing it for 15 minutes, closing it, and going back to it. It just I, I could have played those other two games. I played a lot of Order of Ecclesia, but I didn't play the uh, the other one yet. It's still sealed. I get a those are good games, really good games. Um, so, Kurt, any E3 predictions or maybe even things that you're hoping for to be announced? I have not been following it. <laughs> Uh, the only thing I really said is Exceed uh, announced all of their games. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of hoping, they've been kind of dropping hints for this one. Uh, it's one old PC game called Xanadu Next, uh, which is really, really, really good. Like, I played it in Japanese like 10 years ago. And they I feel like they've kind of been, uh, like, hinting at it, but haven't really said anything. But it wasn't on their list, so I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Wait, didn't, it didn't, what, like, or was it Tokyo Xanadu is another game? Tokyo Xanadu is, uh, it's a new one that they're making. Like, what it is, is Xanadu was one of the, the big PC games from, uh, the early 80s in Japan. Mm-hmm. And, um, Xanadu Next has nothing really to do with it, but they just reuse the name as sort of like, uh, it came out on its 20th anniversary. Okay. And that's basically Tokyo Xanadu again is a completely different game, but it's coming out, would be on its, like, 30th anniversary. Um, I'm not so sure about Tokyo Xanadu because it's more uh, Xanadu next had that it kind of had the feeling of a western RPG but the polish of a Japanese RPG mm-hmm. like uh, is this it kind of felt like Diablo but at the same time had the level design of a Metroid or a Zelda oh crazy and uh, the boss battles of an ease and it's a, it's a really incredibly oh. good game all right now okay okay so they did they okay so this isn't Announced. They're, you're hoping this is. Yeah, I was, I was hoping they announced. Like, there's a fan translation up for it uh, now, which I, I need to go back and replay it with that translation on. Um, they did announce the new Legend of Heroes games, but yes. I, I barely even played the one that they did put out. Yeah, it's kind of boring, huh? I could it's, I couldn't get past the first couple of hours. <laughs> it's uh, it's expansive. Yeah, <laughs> and it definitely takes its time in world building, and I never got past that one part to really become a fan of it. But it's uh, it's Falcom's bread and butter these days. So, outside of like one of the spinoffs, which again, like all the fans are they're worried because they're skipping a whole bunch of uh, them because they're so big that they just don't have time to translate them. Mm-hmm. They're uh, they're on like the old platforms, like some of them they didn't make on the PC except for Chinese versions. So they have to hit the window to get them out on the PS3 and Vita before those systems expire. And my favorite one of them is this action RPG called uh, Neyuta no Kiseki, which doesn't have much to do with the Trails games other than the name, but it's a really, really, really good action game. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, they kind of skipped that. So unless somebody decides to support that to the PC, then uh, I kind of out of luck. I don't know. You know what? As much as Sony said the Vita doesn't matter anymore, or it's a legacy hardware, um, a lot of Vita games are getting announced these last couple of weeks, um, including Earth Defense Force 2, which I'm on board, and uh, even Corpse Party got their sequel, is, is coming out for some reason $50 for the card of that. I don't know why, but um, anyways, I'm getting Persona 4 Dancing All the Night. Yeah. Special edition, so <laughs> I'm happy. Edition, yeah. I, I ordered uh, the $80 special edition, and I am happy to be playing that this fall, or this summer, or fall-ish. Rampa, I have to remember to uh, order the special edition of that. Hell yeah, yeah, that's coming out, the, the new Danganronpa is coming out. Uh, uh, September. Yeah, um, the first, it's almost like a first-person shooter. Yeah, it's a third-person one, it's completely oh, different from the other one, it's sort of a uh, an interquel that takes place... Like after the first game, but before the second one. Totally need to finish the second game. I'm so I'm like halfway through it. I got to finish that. Um, damn, those are good games. Uh, I also got a PS Vita TV for some reason because they were forty dollars, but that's in a box. Um, Should I? Yeah, I was going to ask if, <laughs> if that was worthwhile. I also like I can stop at Best Buy and I guess I could play that on my television. But Peter is I, probably the better person to ask. Didn't you? Did you review that? Yeah, I mean i've I've used it a bunch. It's it's pretty good, but the problem is if you're used to playing on a Vita and you're used to getting things from the store just you know as they're available, then you're it's kind of disappointing to use the Vita TV because there's a lot of stuff that just you're not allowed to purchase because it hasn't been optimized for the device. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of compromises like that. So yeah, but on the other hand, if you have a lot of PS1 classics, um, a lot of the sort of the the PlayStation Minis or you know any of the the, the downloadable games that are not necessarily geared towards the Vita. I guess a lot of the PSP stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, all, be, that, that's all really good. It'd be nice to play like E7 yeah. on a television. I wonder, how, I wonder how that looks on a blown up. Because I remember I, I, I had the uh, the component cables for my PSP and it looked like kind of garbage. Yeah, it probably would. Because, uh, I mean, the, the East Olsen Felgana, one of the earlier ones, that's on the PSP and mm-hmm. uh, the PC also. Because it originated on the PC. And if you put just screenshots of those together, like the PSP version looks pretty bad. Awesome. Well, um, well, let's. Uh, I mean, Peter, do you have do you have any? I know you 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 might know stuff, but is there anything you don't know about that you are predicting, or you know that you would like to see? Um, I don't know what Platinum is going to be showing. They, especially lately, have been developing multiple games at the same time. Yeah, they're doing an uh, Xbox One game, right? Scalebound, and yeah. that game looks really interesting but there's been so little shown of it Mm -hmm. um i just i obviously i have great faith in platinum's ability to make really you know energetic uh and and, uh, action games that control really well totally so that should be great i'm (laughs) i went to an appointment at tokyo game show last september for scalebound thinking oh great i'm gonna play it hideki kamiya is there i'm like oh this is awesome and it was literally just a five minute roundtable interview about the game with no nothing new to show for it oh, wow <laughs> so i'm hoping to see more of that and uh i have a i have a hunch that they might be doing something else but um it's anyone's guess at this point but otherwise yeah nintendo i've got my eye on them they just have such a, a way of delivery of a you know sort of using e3 as a platform to do something you know fun and special for their fans so I, I honestly I could care less about the the big publisher like the the battles between Sony and Microsoft like I just like games to be fun sure and uh, I think Nintendo 
really represents that side of gaming. Always, they always have. So I'm going to have my eye on them for sure. Nintendo has great games. They just do lots of dumb stuff with their services and hardware. Yeah, which, they've got to get that figured out. That that is, if if I know they're not going to talk about NX, but or whatever right. the next console is, but if they can figure that crap out, they will be back because I think you know it's not you know John Call of Duty that doesn't want to buy their consoles because they can't play Call of Duty, but it's also at the same time you know I, you should you wouldn't believe I okay this is a very short story, but I was. Like I said, I was in GameStop. I went to go pick up a couple DSIs, and there was a mother in there talking to the guy behind the counter about the differences between the 2DS, the 3DS, the new 3DS, the 3DS XL, and the difference between refurbished and pre-owned because he was trying to get her to sell a pre-owned one, obviously, Um, and how confused that she was and the difference between that and what they had with the Wii and the DS and how straightforward that was. The DS didn't have incredible... I mean, the Wii didn't have incredible online stuff, but Virtual Console was still pretty damn good. And then when you even line that up to what they're doing on the the Wii U and the 3DS, it's kind of just like... Again, I, I just need I need to see that they care about what I want out of a system, uh, yeah. or what I want out of their games. But um, you know, like I said, they're going to have a brand new Metroid game, so um, that will get people excited, and they'll probably have what would be like another Splatoon, you know, whatever their next you know game that comes out of nowhere. Um, and don't forget, we still get that Kirby. Uh, was it Whirly World game? And oh, it's uh, Yoshi's Whirly World. Oh, Yoshi's. Sorry. Um, well, yeah. sorry, I got confused. Epic Yarn is like the same kind of look, but um, oh, totally. Yeah. It's same same company. Goodfield made this. It made uh, Epic Yarn too. Um, but I don't know. 3ds isn't exciting me right now. Uh, the Wii U is not really super exciting me right now. I want Zelda, but um, maybe at the end of the day. We just get good video games, and I think I'm with you, Peter. I think it's going to be coming more from, like, not the big people. It's going to be coming more from, like, indies and, and just, like, crazy stuff. Like, maybe No Man's Sky comes out this year. Who knows? Um, I don't know. I'm rambling now because I'm caffeine's wearing off. So I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to wrap up the show. So uh, I mentioned before, but make sure that you go to Amazon and you check out uh, the latest Hardcore Gaming 101, di- 101 Digest with Bionic Commando and Strider. Absolutely fantastic. Again, uh, you know, can't say enough, Kurt, how great those come out. Uh, always impressed by just like, and it sounds stupid, but even like the formatting of the pages in the book itself just looks great. It's very inviting. It makes you want to read it. Um, so, so go take a look at that. Anything else that people should keep an eye out for, Kurt, uh, whether it be on the website or in terms of like books and stuff coming out? Uh, at the end of the month, I'm going to be, I have a table set up at Too Many Games in uh, Oaks, Pennsylvania. Awesome. It's uh, the last weekend of June. Um, and they, I mean, it, it started out the whole thing as a, uh, like a trade meet sort of stuff. There's a lot of sellers, but they also have bands and, and guests. I think uh, I think the nerd ending your video game nerd goes there every year. I think he's there again too. He's a big deal these days. Oh yeah, he's got his own video game and a movie. <laughs> he's got movie. He's like he's basically like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, Peter, I know you got uh, a lot of prep coming up for for E three. Anything that people should keep an eye out for uh, in terms of what you're up to coverage and, and things like that. Uh, so next week, um, I'm dropping a lot of info on the Phantom Pain. Uh, nice. I actually had a chance to play it for about 15 hours. Holy crap. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you, so, well, can sorry? you say, can, did you finish it? 
I can't. Okay. I, okay. I, it's, it's so airtight with Konami right now. Okay. <laughs> Given all their, I mean, their it's stuff. the la- it's the last game they're ever going to make, so I'm, I, they want to make sure it's very tight lipped until it's out. Yeah, that's a joke. Uh, it's a. Uh, I'm actually a little bit close to that whole controversy. Um, that's right, you broke some of that stuff, man. Yeah, I would. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I can't comment. I don't really want to comment on that too much. Don't, but don't. Yeah, but yeah, there's going to be um, a lot of great info coming out about that game, and uh, yeah, just a whole lot of E3 coverage as well. Um, it's hard to wrap my head around it i will say this i did play uh abzu i don't know if you guys remember that it's sort of the uh the underwater scuba diving game that sony showed off last year that uh was very atmospheric and uh it's a bit like journey underwater oh so, yeah oh yeah okay yeah 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 it's that's pretty great i've got some stuff coming out it's from the that. makers of journey right oh is it I, you know i, I believe it's I, the same people same folks I thought that team split up a little bit, but uh, well, I think it, maybe maybe it's people from that team created this new company sure. or whatever. Okay, yeah, I mean that that would make perfect sense. Um, so yeah, we've got stuff coming out on that next week on Gamespot.com, as well as some Street Fighter Five stuff, which Not I got bad. to play the other day. Yeah, awesome. Lucky me. Yeah, I can't believe it. 2015, and we're getting new Street Fighter stuff. This is it worked out. It all. I love it. We all thought fighting games were dead, but now Killer Instinct is huge. Mortal Kombat is back. Street Fighter V is coming. All we need is, of course, uh, Interplay to release the rights to Clay Fighter. So, oh, God. Yes! Uh, coming no. from Platinum Games, Clay Fighter. <laughs> I mean, who, who, who knows at this point? But, um, yeah, like I, like I said before, E3, it's always an exciting time. It's a, it's a blast. You know, hope will be renewed. Dreams will be crushed. Nintendo... Sega, Microsoft, and the return. Uh, did I say Sega? You did. I was hoping you were going to say NEC next. But. I meant Sony. What the hell? Whoa. That was a Freudian slip. Wishful but, thinking. Uh, not that they have a new console coming out. But, um, yeah, maybe it's you know, Dreamcast 2. Everyone wins. Just you know. get, get, me, get me a new. Okay, all Sega needs to do to get me back on their side, new Jet Set Radio. Um, and the soundtrack for the new Jet Set Radio. That's what I mean. <laughs> Splatoon has so much of Jet Set Radio in it. Uh, I get such a that that same like Tokyo urban vibe from it. This, the quirkiness, the soundtrack is really strange. And do I have uh, to buy this? Do I do I do I have to buy this game? Splatoon's awesome. Yeah, I, I was absolutely play it. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. the same sort of like it's a big hype thing now. But I never yeah. really liked online shooter games. So it is. I know this is going on kind of long now, so I won't do it too much i I reviewed the game for GameSpot, so you can read my thoughts there but it's a game that's about small victories and where most shooters you know they you only feel rewarded if you're a sharpshooter and you can get that one guy Mm -hmm. the moment a match starts in splatoon and the moment you get ink anywhere you know in the world that's a small win and so it's just a, a a match filled with small wins and you always feel like you're doing something that's making a difference so in that sense it's a really rewarding game and plus it just controls so freaking well so it's to it's an online shooter, but it also is very different in terms of like tone and the mm-hmm. way it gets under your skin. So I don't know. I can't recommend it enough. It's it's great. It needs more content. That's all. Someday. Yeah. Okay. This is okay. I swear. This is the last thing. I stop. Okay. This is this is. Uh, and I'm not even saying this is a general press thing. It's not. It's not whatever. But people need to start getting mad that these games are still coming out broken and not finished. People need to get like super pissed and stop buying. Get, like I know Witcher is great, but it's like broken. And like 
Yeah. Um, Fallout 4 is going to come out. It's going to be broken. Don't stop buying this stuff, guys. (laughs) I mean, you know, people review games in different ways. There's no, at least at at GameSpot, the only standard we have is to, you know, make sure we're covering our asses when we make a statement. You know, it's backed up with with evidence. But um, in case of The Witcher, we gave that game a 10 out of 10, you know, bugs included because the reviewer really felt like it was something special. Oh, totally, yeah. But like, I, at the same time, I totally get that people get so pissed off when this thing's broken because, I mean, reviewers, we get sent the game. We review it. People normally pay their own money for these games. And when mm-hmm. they get something that doesn't work, it's obviously upsetting. So it's it's hard. Like, we don't want to review a game through the lens of somebody else. Sure, but, sure. But we also have to find that balance. So, no, I, I kind of agree with you, but it's... It's tricky. Well, I think it's weird even for us because I, I'm looking at this and I have like a bunch of these like Famicom games and Super Nintendo games, Genesis games, Saturn games. They work now and I know they're going to work 30 years from now, right. but I don't know if a PS4 game is going to optimally work 30 years from now if I put it into a system because I don't know if I can get those updates. Like that, that is just what bugs me and that I think it completely... It like in Peter, like in Kurt, you guys are perfect guys to talk to about this because maybe we should have made this the whole discussion. But um, I don't think I don't even know if there's going to be people that are going to want to collect those games. Are they going to have, you know, the the nostalgia or the collectability like, you know, a stack yeah. of Super Nintendo games or even like Sega Saturn games where those discs will eventually you know, fall apart. But at least right now I can pop that into a Saturn. I know it's, it's, it is, it's the product. It's not something I need to, I'm not missing a piece of it. It's all there. Um, and I'm just kind of, I guess I'm curious, like what it's going to be like 20 years from now, are people going to actually say like, yeah, man, I'm going to go to the flea market and pick up some PS4 games. Right. Yeah. I think (laughs) it's a, I think it's a, if you look at the way games used to be developed before it was this massive, you know, bigger than Hollywood type business. Mm Mm-hmm. People were experimenting. There's a lot of odd stuff out there. And, and I think that's what makes retro games in particular so interesting is that they're all so different. But nowadays, it's very important for publishers who spend a lot of money on games to do something they know is going to sell mm-hmm. a buttload of copies. And so you have a lot of stuff that sort of fits the same mold. You know, Even if it came out five years after the, other, uh, uh, the previous game in the series, it's still pretty similar. True. I'm sure you guys can imagine the series I'm talking about. So <laughs> I still think there are games that people will collect from this generation, but I think the, the era of, of game development and creation has changed, and that era of nostalgia probably won't be there because I don't think individual games, in most cases, are as special as they used to be. And the way I feel about it is sort of how I look at a lot of Xbox games because uh, that was it had a heavy Western focus and a lot of them also had PC ports. So now when I'm revisiting these games like 10, 15 years later, like what's the point of bringing out my Xbox when I could play something on my computer? I could probably get it off a of GOG or Steam for a couple dollars. Mm-hmm. It runs better. It has proper widescreen. Yeah, I don't have to ever worry. Like, there's there's glitches with them because I was playing Beyond Good and Evil. The PC port of that isn't so great, mm-hmm. but even then, you know, there's still community things that uh, they keep updates to the patches. So, you know, outside of the games that were never ported, it's like these have no value to me. It's the same thing with a lot. Of, like the PS2 was more unique because that was Japanese supported, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of their games didn't get. Uh, ported unfortunately but you're seeing that nowadays like i don't really see the point myself getting a ps4 at xbox one because everything i want to play i can get from my computer and it's going to run better Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, I wonder if like maybe before these consoles are done, like they will do some kind of unlocking. So at least you could download these updates from like, remember, like you'd have to download, like find your favorite like file planet or whatever to download patches for PC games. Like maybe they will do something where they can at least archive these like the updates for Uncharted Ultimate Collection or like the Master Chief Collection, which is so broken. You know, if you played that with just the disc and never updated it, the thing falls apart. Um, hopefully they'll be able to do something like that. So at least they can preserve these games. Like that was, I talked to Mike, Mike about that. Like Mike, Mike, like honestly, like with the amount of like updates, these games are getting, how are we ever going to make sure the right version is saved? You know, what's uh, lately, I can't remember if I complained about that before, but I was trying to get a copy of Russian attacks expatriate, which is like universally regard to be like a pretty shitty game, but, <laughs> but you know, you it's a Konami it. game. Yeah. yeah. I want it. Cause I want to eventually write about it at some point in the future. And at some point at the end of last year, the beginning of next year, it just disappeared from both PSN and Xbox. Yeah. Um, I GameStop was still selling codes. I bought one there because usually they still work. It didn't. I had to go through a whole rigmarole to get it uh, activated. I saw oh, did you got it activated. No, it oh. didn't work. But they brought it back on the PS3. I saw it. I bought it immediately, but I didn't have the hard drive space. So my PS3 died this week, and uh, <laughs> I, I went and checked my download list. So I actually have space to do it. It's not there at all. Like I bought the game and I can't download it. They delisted it again. It's it, the weird thing is on the store, oh. but you can't buy it. You can't download it. Um, it. But they put it back on the Xbox one. So just out of paranoia, I bought it again on the <laughs> Xbox and played it last night and it, it, it works. So at least I have it. But can you confirm it sucks? Uh, I didn't play it enough to confirm it. Sucks. <laughs> okay. I, I will someday. Um, but it's that I mean, like functionally, nobody really cares about that game. But in the long run, that's what we're going to see. Big, you know, PT that brings up that conversation yeah. again. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it frustrates me. On um, this is a NeoGaf thread about some people, like you know, it's a playable trailer. Who cares? It's like, well, no, people love Silent Hill. Yeah, you know, 10, 15 years later, we're still talking about how amazing those games were. And 10, 15 years later, we're going to be, you know, complaining that we can't ever play this game again outside of, you know, hopefully somebody will hack a PS4 and we can download it. But that's assuming that somebody can crack it because, you know, Konami doesn't care about that sort of stuff. And that's always frustrating. Yeah. I I mean, that that is one thing I'll say, you know, about Mike, Mike, him being Frank is like, yeah, basically like you're going to have to wait for the people that pirate this stuff to figure it out. Um, I don't think you said that specifically, but I mean, that's, that's how you preserve this stuff and you have to have, Someone unlock the consoles so they can then rip the stuff off the hard drive and then they can put it in a torrent and then share it. But then I don't know. It's just it's just that's why like I think for this whole generation, I even when I had a PS4 and Xbox, I didn't buy one game. I had a GameFly account because I don't think these games have any value on a disc. Um, and it almost like makes more sense for people to get them digitally as long as you understand you don't. You're basically getting a sixty dollar rental for a couple of years. Um, but damn, yeah. That's why there's I'd- also a sense of flimsiness because when you pick up an old game, I mean, this may be just like romanticism, but there's always a sense of presence to it. Like it has weight to it. But you pick up a Vita game. It's like it's nothing. Oh, totally. yeah. Yeah. It's like there's it no, doesn't no weigh anything. There. There's no manual. It's it doesn't like feel like anything. And maybe it's just because it's new because this is, you know, like things don't have nostalgia when it's like a couple months old. Now, Vita games only have download code codes in a lot of them. Like yeah. the, the Sony yeah. published games have download codes and it's not even a cart they sell a box with a piece of paper in it 
That was the same thing on PSP. I I was at a flea market and I found a brand new copy of Patapon. Uh, I think it was Patapon. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, sweet. <laughs> oh, only three bucks? No problem. I get it home and it's like, what the hell? It's a download code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bogus. Uh, I, I feel like that's picking up from uh, because the PC was like the same like that forever. Like PC boxes used to be fantastic. Mm-hmm, I still yeah. collect a lot of this stuff. And then somewhere around the late nineties, the turn of the century, they just became in these really flimsy little packages, um, and it just didn't like feel like it's like worth putting on my shelf. All right, we got to wrap this up, but I love talking about video games with you guys, and I hope the audience uh, you know enjoys this stuff. It ended up going super long, extra segment, but. That's what happens when we have such a great panel, uh, such as Kirk Clada and Peter Brown. So um, we're going to wrap it up now. Don't forget to check out backinmyplay.com for stuff. Sometimes I post some news on there. Also, at backinmyplay on Twitter is how you can stay up to date on the latest stuff that is going on uh, for the show. And, you know, sometimes I will post, uh, you know, other stuff that we're doing. Uh, but for Kurt, you can follow at HG underscore 101. Peter is at PC Brown. And uh, if you enjoy the show and you subscribe on iTunes, I appreciate it if you jump on there and submit a review. And if you uh, you know think this show is worth supporting, also you can go to patreon.com slash back in my play. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash back in my play. Uh, and you can support the show like it just a dollar per episode means a lot. Um, don't have a ton of Patreon supporters, but uh, it does help, you know, fund buying games for the show and <laughs> all that hosting stuff. And also, don't forget, got to make sure that you're checking out Hardcore Gaming uh, 101.net. Go to their Patreon page as well. Uh, it is uh, slash HG 101. And, uh, you know, support that, sh- uh, you know, website as well because Kurt and the folks over there are always putting tons of awesome content on that website made just for people like us listening to this show. Uh, so go support them as well. So that that's it. Uh, we'll hopefully be back next week with Mohammed uh, from Bra- Brave Wave. Um, but uh, until then, uh, Kurt, thank you so much for coming back on. Oh, thank you. And of course, Peter, uh, enjoy the... Uh, the battle of E3 and, um, you know, shoot me a text when you see a Metroid game get announced at Nintendo. <laughs> you have me nervous as hell. But, uh, yeah, hey, thanks for having me back on, man. It's always fun. Thanks, as always, for listening. We will catch you next time. Believe it or not, more music from Gimmick right now. Yeah.